worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rebel Rouser. I'm Alan Voivod, and this is Star Wars 7x7. So here we are at episode number 1,577, and back in November of last year, I interviewed a gentleman named Patrick Johnson. He is a professor of physics at Georgetown University and the author of The Physics of Star Wars, which is an awesome book. And, you know, I got to thinking about a particular topic, which we'll get to in a moment, and thought, you know what, this is something where, you know, it's come up often enough and there have been enough variations on the subject that I thought it would be really great to hear an expert opinion on this particular matter. So a another physics matter that wasn't exactly covered in his book. I'm sure there are you know tons of different things that he could have addressed and also, you know, considering that the canon marches on and more different you know, topics come up that could be potentially addressed by somebody with his particular set of skills. And so I reached out to him and he was more than happy to come on the show, knock on wood, that was really nice of him to do so, to talk about outer space in Star Wars. And so, you know, without further ado, I'm gonna jump us over to my interview with Patrick Johnson, author of The Physics of Star Wars and professor of physics at Georgetown University. Patrick Johnson, welcome back to Star Wars 7x7. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me on, Alan. Oh, yeah. I'm thrilled to have you back. And, you know, for our listeners, of course, he was on the show late last year for the release of his book, The Physics of Star Wars, which is awesome. And I've had even more time to peruse it since then. And our listeners and viewers will also be aware that earlier this year, we talked about the Kessel Run on the show and the fact that Patrick's analysis of how the Kessel Run might be possible and Han's boast of it being possible was pretty much spot on. So, you know, congratulations on that. Well, thank you very much. You're very generous. I, I, I feel like I offered a few possible explanations and like gave my opinion of what I thought would be most likely. Um, and uh, they went with one of them. And uh, I'm sure there are some people who are disappointed with the specific way they decided to explain it. But like I thought it made for a very beautiful cinematic scene. Excellent. It's, you know, it's got to be a different experience when you are actually thinking about it in a critical manner and, and can have the level of insight that you have to see it and then to see it depicted on screen to be able to have the emotional reaction to it and see you know, how it's dramatically presented as well and how that layers over the, you know, scientific analysis that you put in on. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, like, uh, uh, when I was first watching the movie and, like, they're uh, coming through, like, I, I, I'm sure this is a bad description, but the cloud tunnel, <laughs> and then you see uh, the Star Destroyer, like, sitting right there, like, obstructing their way. That was, like, a really dramatic, like, oh, coming around a corner, like, uh-oh, what are uh, they going to do? I mean, I had a pretty good sense of what they were going to do when they first came in saying, like, nope, definitely can't go through these clouds. Like, that's too dangerous. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, they're definitely going to be going through there. Uh, but, like, uh, to, to, like, have them do that uh, in such uh, an interesting way that even though I kind of knew it was going to be coming, like, uh, I, I thought it was really well done uh, in that way. And, like, from a physicist standpoint, uh, I look at that and I say, you know what, like, they're probably taking some liberties with science here. Uh, but like, 
uh, as I do in my book, uh, like I, I really try to take um, what is shown on screen as like, okay, this is the truth, like, and I will find a way to justify it with science. And so um, that's the way my brain personally works. I don't watch a movie and say like, mm, no, 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 that's not actual <laughs> real outer space. I can't handle that. Like I'm willing to suspend my disbelief and then think about it later of like, well, how could that have happened? And so that's exactly why I reached out to you today because of something actually in the solo novelization kind of put me over the edge on the whole suspension of disbelief situation with Star Wars. And, you know, for you know, anyone who's seen Star Wars, obviously we've seen things like laser blasts and explosions in space and we actually hear those things even though sound isn't supposed to travel in space. And so yeah. as a viewer, suspension of disbelief comes in and, and that's fine. And then you have things like with The Last Jedi when Leia was ejected into space and was out there for a while and still managed to survive for a while. And this also happened with Kanan Jarrus in Star Wars Rebels, actually, in um, one of the seasons early on as well, where he was exposed to space for an extended period of time and still survived. But then in the solo novelization, they're talking about the approach to the Kessel Run. And as our heroes are in the cockpit of the Falcon approaching that maelstrom, the cloud tunnel, if you will, they mm -hmm. are hearing Carbonbergs. This is how Mer Lafferty describes it in the novelization, that they can hear the crashing of Carbonbergs mm -hmm. in space. And so yeah. finally it occurred to me, you know what? Maybe there's something else going on here. And is it possible that outer space in Star Wars is different from outer space in real life? And so I reached out to you about that and you were yeah. very kind to say, yeah, <laughs> hey, I'll explore that with you. So um, why don't we start first by talking about what our outer space is like, just in general okay. terms? Yeah. So uh, as far as we know, outer space is very empty. Like there's essentially nothing there. Like if you were to go a, f a few hundred miles above uh, the Earth's surface, you would enter what we consider the uh, beginnings of outer space. And the, just essentially as you go up, the density of air would get lower and lower and lower until it essentially reaches zero uh, when you get to outer space. And um, now anybody who knows uh, a little bit about quantum mechanics probably is aware that turns out empty space isn't actually empty and that there are uh, particles and antiparticles constantly popping into existence and then passing out of existence. Um, but that happens on a time scale that is fractions upon fractions of a nanosecond. And so uh, essentially um, uh, there, there's nothing uh, actually on a macroscopic scale in the space between the earth and the moon or the earth and uh, Mars or the earth and uh and Andromeda galaxy or anything like that. Like there's basically nothingness. Now there might be a few dust particles here. Obviously there's like an asteroid belt where there's a bunch of big rocks and there are other planets. So there are things in space, but like in the gap between two large things, there is maybe a tiny bit of debris here and there, but mostly there's just nothing. Um, and, uh, turns out uh, that for sound to travel in our universe, it requires a medium to travel through. And so in our outer space, um, with a, a catchphrase uh, from Alien, uh, like, in outer space, nobody can hear you scream. <laughs> what it's saying is, um, from a scientist standpoint, uh, it's not as exciting to say, uh, in space, there's no medium through which sound can travel. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's what our outer space is like. Um, but, uh, like, if there's anybody who's questioning, like, well, couldn't these tiny particles that pop in and out of space 
um, be the medium for which sound to travel? And the answer is no. Uh, for sound to travel, one particle has to run into another, has to run into another for it to travel from one location to another. And these particles just aren't in existence long enough to be able to run into each other to uh, transmit sound. And so there would also have to be present not only long enough, but at a density that would be you know heavy enough for yes. sound to be able to propagate across it. Yes, and absolutely. So how is that then possible, say, for example, with the Carbonbergs mm -hmm. in solo? How is that potentially different from what we're experiencing in our own space? Yeah. So uh, like uh, I mentioned earlier, I can come up with explanations uh, that can justify what's being said. And that's what I love trying to do is saying like, OK, I will take what is written of these Carbonbergs crashing in space. Let me find a way for the sound to get to them. And so um, there are a few different explanations I can come up with. Um, one is that like space is fundamentally different. Maybe uh, there is something about outer space in Star Wars where there is actually a low density of particles that's large enough uh, to uh, transmit sound. Um, the primary issue with that is um, traveling through any kind of uh, density of particles that is dense enough to have sound travel through it is dense enough to create air resistance. Uh, and like traveling at hyperspeed type speeds uh, as we see in The Last Jedi, when you go through something, that can be very catastro uh, catastrophic for you to jump to hyperspace through uh, an object. Uh, and so essentially you'd have a bunch of tiny little particles doing that to your ship every time you jump to hyperspace, ah. which would be a huge issue if it's just all of space. Um, you could uh, come up with a justification where it's like, since the force permeates everything, that the force is a medium through which uh, sound can travel. Um, personally... <laughs> I would be a little bit unsatisfied with that because it feels like the force just hopping in to solve any kind of scientific issues. Um, but uh, what I would probably uh, most uh, uh, like to think about is that as they fly through the maelstrom, like to me, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I think it looks like a cloud tunnel and clouds are dense enough for sound to travel through. And if perhaps surrounding uh, Kessel, this maelstrom is indeed as dense as a cloud is in our atmosphere, um, it could just be that it's just a very dense cluster of particles that is uh, dense enough for sound to travel through. And so perhaps that's actually how the sound is able to get to them um, as they go through uh, the tunnel through the maelstrom. Got it. All right. So there is actually something resembling a reasonable explanation for this then. Uh, I mean, I'm going to... Uh, my only exception is the word reasonable. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like I, can, I, I could justify it with these explanations. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to cl claim that this is definitively the only explanation or the best explanation, but like here are some possible explanations. So, uh, but uh, <laughs> as, as happens sometimes when uh, watching a fictional universe as a scientist, like trying to come up with an explanation can feel like you're bending over backwards to make it work. But like, yes, uh, I, I'll, I'll give it, uh, a possible explanation more than a reasonable explanation. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. And so what you mentioned actually about the the possibility of particles being dense enough in space that you know, sound could propagate and the, um, the downside of that being that if you're going to hyperspace and jumping through objects as we saw as in The Last Jedi, that you would also possibly be jumping through all of these minuscule particles and therefore that could be very damaging. Yeah. Um, I'm going to hold off on that one for a second, but it does raise the question of if something like that were the case, would that explain the way that we see starships able to maneuver in space, particularly dogfights with X-Wings and TIE Fighters and so forth, if that density of particles is, you know, 
just enough. I mean, how dense does it have to get to allow, say, for example, some of those crazy skid moves that we see Poe Dameron perform in The Last Jedi, where he suddenly is able to make his ship pivot and turn in a way that ordinarily we would only expect to see that in atmosphere, maybe? So uh, that's an interesting question. And like, uh, so when Poe's doing his fancy moves or uh, any skilled pilot in the Star Wars universe, uh, like, I feel like, uh, I honestly, I don't know the specific design of an X-Wing or TIE fighter to know where all the jet locations are for like where it is able to uh, output things. Uh, so like, I know it has some stabilizing jets. It has the primary thruster. Um, and so like, I feel like with those moves that he's using, um, I think those would be possible to do in space with the right jets. And, um, what I'd be most concerned about is his ability to survive the G forces involved in those. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. we send our, uh, our fighter pilots through a number of G force testing and like, um, the G forces involved in some of his stops and turns are just, uh, I haven't done the math on it, but they, they would be dangerously <laughs> high where he's either going to be passing out or possibly dying from those things. Uh, <laughs> and like passing out in the middle of a dogfight is just as bad. <laughs> right. So, uh, but like, uh, I, I feel like, um, when you're doing those maneuvers, uh, if you like, when we do them in atmosphere, we are often using uh, like uh, reshaping the wings or kind of uh, reorienting the nozzle around our engines to be able to create thrust in different directions. Um, with, when you do it with the engine uh, cone, it's called thrust vectoring, where you are pointing your thrust in a particular direction. And so when we are doing this, we are using this thrust vectoring on the engine combined with the air resistance on the wings to be able to create these forces to flip us around. and if you're in space, um, if you have the right combination of uh, thrusters in the right directions, you could generate the same kinds of forces uh, without any atmosphere. Um, that being said, uh, like I don't have the images of the scenes perfectly memorized. I don't remember seeing like large jets of uh, exhaust coming out uh, from different sides to allow that to happen. And so um, I'm kind of grasping at straws here, but like uh, that's. I feel like you could generate those uh, with the asterisk of you're going to need some kind of pressure suit to keep the blood in your head so that you don't uh, pass out. <laughs> All right. So another situation where it's a possible, not necessarily a reasonable explanation then? Yeah. And I feel like that's all I can ever offer is a possible explanation. Uh, like, And there are certainly times when I have thought of uh, a, a possible explanation. And then later, uh, it's been revealed like, Oh, actually this is their explanation. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. That, that, that's fine. Uh, I will accept that. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, it, like I, I will just offer my own thoughts on uh, what I think could be an explanation for it. Got it. And so then the last one, probably, I guess, you know, the most difficult one, comparatively speaking, is the idea of somebody being able to survive in space for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. Do you yeah. have a sense of how long people in general, and I'm putting you on the spot because I did not, you know, prepare you for this question no, off the top fine. of the head, but um, how long can people survive in space exposed? Um, so it, like, if you're talking about like, just take me as I am in my normal work clothes and threw me into space, uh, the answer is seconds. Um, because, uh, the, the primary thing that will cause an issue for you is the lack of uh, air pressure around you, um, will cause all of the water in your body to boil off. And I, I don't know what the current 
number is, but it's somewhere between 60 and 70% of your body is water. Mm -hmm. And for that to evaporate, evaporation being a cooling process, it will cool your body down, you'll freeze, and then that will be the end of you. Um, uh, so like, uh, imagine sweating so profusely that you turn into an ice cube. That is essentially how uh, that will happen in space. That um, is a crazy, <laughs> I've never heard it described like that. That's yeah. crazy. Okay. Yeah. You'll, you'll sweat yourself to death is essentially what it comes down to. Uh, and, um, that is if you don't have the air pressure, because our bodies evolved on a planet with uh, one atmosphere of air pressure, like 100, 1,325 pascals, if you wanted to get really fancy about it. But like, <laughs> okay. our body is like used to having that counter pressure. And without that counter pressure, um, uh, the water in our bodies will evaporate, just like uh, in many like introductory chemistry classes you'll put a cup of water in a bell jar and suck out all the air and you'll watch it boil. And then like you pass it around to the class and people can dip their fingers in and it'll be cold. And that always boggles uh, people's minds when they first see it. Cause it's like, I just watched this water boil, which I think of as hot. And now it feels like an ice cube. Um, that is essentially what will happen to you in space. Now, um, as I talk about in my book, like uh, when General Grievous is uh, sucked out of the invisible hand, like yes. his organs are contained in a pressurized sack which provide that pressure to prevent that evaporative cooling. And so if you were to put yourself in a pressurized sack in space, essentially that's what a spacesuit is, mm -hmm. um, uh, <laughs> like uh, you would not have to worry about that evaporative cooling. And then if you have that counter pressure, you can survive for minutes to uh, like, uh, I, I don't remember exact numbers. I did the math in uh, my book, but like I believe you could, I think it's somewhere close to like 90 minutes is uh, like where you'd have to start worrying about other types of cooling uh, becoming an issue. Uh, or, I mean, in the meantime, also being able to breathe is an important thing. Right. <laughs> but like there are people who can hold their breath for, uh, uh, for minutes. I don't know about 90 minutes. Uh, and so with something like Leia in uh, The Force Awakens, or sorry, uh, in The Last Jedi, um, uh, I was actually just asked about this uh, uh, last week, and uh, the best justification that I could come up with for this uh, was that so she she has uh, force capabilities, as we obviously see later in that scene. Um, mm -hmm. But like in theory, uh, again, <laughs> this is where I'm really stretching here. She could use force pull to pull all of the air molecules that have also been evacuated with her to create kind of a bubble of air around her ah. um, so that she could have that counter pressure to prevent herself from evaporating. Um, she could hold her breath. I don't know exactly how long the scene lasted, but I'd say maybe a minute or two kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, anybody can, well, maybe not anybody, but people can hold their breath that long. Um, and so she could create that bubble of air to prevent herself from freezing and to their credit, they did start to show her, like, start to freeze, like you could see the ice crystals forming. And so maybe as she's feeling that happen, she pulls all the air in around her to re-provide uh, that pressure to stop the freezing. And then, like, uh, she can uh, use a force pull to pull the actual whole ship to her. Because even though it looks like in space that she's Mary Poppinsing, I don't know how to make that a verb, back into the ship, <laughs> uh, like in space, all things uh, are relative. And so even though from our perspective, it looks like she's coming in to the ship, it could just as be as easily that she's staying in one location and pulling the ship towards her kind of thing and uh, still returning to the ship. And then once she gets back inside, 
like she can be uh, revived and provided uh, oxygen and everything else she needs to recover. But like that is the best justification for how uh, she could survive in space uh, uh, that I can come up with. But like that's really, really trying hard. Like, I, <laughs> like even if I grant magical brain powers like the force, like being able to manipulate that and many air molecules that precisely seems like a very impressive use of the force. Right. And yet you've also managed to make her even more impressive by suggesting that she didn't fly to the ship, that yeah. she pulled the <laughs> ship toward her. So somehow yeah. <laughs> you've managed to make Carrie Fisher even more impressive than we already thought she was. So well, that I, in I itself a is a feat for her. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a lot of respect for her and Leia as a character. And I, I, and I'm sad uh, that Carrie Fisher has passed away, uh, but uh, I, I very much have enjoyed her portrayal in, of characters in all kinds of movies, but especially as Princess Leia. She's a phenomenal character. And if she's the most powerful Force user in the universe, so be it. <laughs> I can think of no better way to end this conversation than on that right there. I'm going to stand pat right there. Patrick Johnson, Georgetown Professor of Physics, thank you so much for joining me again on the show. It was really great to talk with you. It's great talking with you every time, Alan. And please let me know if you have future questions. Um, I'm happy to come up with whatever kinds of explanations I can to try to explain things that happen in Star Wars. That is a dangerous offer, but <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it all the same. Awesome. Well, have a great day, Alan. You too. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2018, Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.